You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to Pain.tv slash gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. Right here, folks, right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, let's continue here. So much information and so little time, folks, so little time. Goes on to say, when U.S. labor reformers reported on labor legislation in countries more precocious with respect to labor reform, they favorably commented on the eugenic efficacy of minimum wages in excluding the, quote, low-wage races, end quote, from work. Harvard's Arthur Holcomb, uh, 1912, a member of the Massachusetts Minimum Wage Commission, referred approvingly to the intent of Australia's minimum wage law to, quote, protect the white Australians' standard of living from the invidious competition of the colored races, particularly of the Chinese, end quote. Florence Kelly This is in 1911, perhaps the most influential U.S. labor reformer of the day, also endorsed the Australian minimum wage law as, quote, redeeming the sweated trades, end quote, by preventing the, quote, unbridled competition, end quote, of the unemployable, the, quote, women, children, and Chinese who were reducing all the employees to starvation, end quote. For these progressives, race determined the standard of living, and the standard of living determined the wage. Thus were immigration restriction and labor legislation, especially minimum wages, justified for their eugenic effects. Now, if you want to talk about immigration restriction, that's fine. I think that's actually one of the things that should be on the table. Uh, But again, to raise minimum wage, to force people out of the workforce, to then deem them unfit to then be able to kill them, that's something completely different. And remember, the majority of these guys that we've talked about and stuff that I've researched and I'll introduce in the coming episodes, they weren't doing this to protect you and me. They weren't saying, oh, Dustin and Billy out there are natives of America, and so we need to protect them. No, they wanted to end up breeding this really fit, they called it this fit workforce, you know, so that we could provide back into the system. Remember, the technocrats came up with the formula on the human engine and deemed us to be inefficient. So we were even an enemy to them. It's not like they're doing this to protect you or I. That's why I always say the government does not love me. So anything they try to offer me, any regulation any executive order any law that they say is to protect me i don't want anything to do with it i'm more than capable uh, of taking care of myself so i don't need some group of people a bunch of elitists a bunch of prison planet wardens a bunch of social engineering class deviants to come and tell me that they're going to protect me because they love me because i know they don't love me They want to kill me. Everything they do is designed to destroy us. So anytime they're offering up something to say that they want to protect you, you know it's a lie. And you need to run for cover. It goes on to say, 
invidious distinction, whether founded on the putatively greater fertility of the unfit or upon their putatively greater predisposition to low wages, lay at the heart of the reforms we today see as the hallmark of the progressive era. All right, this next section is the popularity and appeal of eugenics. Let's delve into this, folks. Again, it's important to understand the history, and then you'll have a clear understanding of where we are in the present, and that will allow you to sort of predict where we're going to be three, four, five, 10, 20 years from now. The popularity and appeal of eugenics. For modern readers, the progressive era relationship between American reform and the biology of human inheritance is doubly unexpected. First, that eugenics was so popular and respectable. And second, that so many progressive economists should have been attracted to eugenic explanations. Let us consider these surprises in turn. The popularity of eugenics. Quote, eugenics, end quote, is a dirty word in contemporary discourse, largely because of its association with the eugenic atrocities of German National Socialism. Those are the Nazis, folks. Even professional historians find it difficult to resist the temptation and to read uh, temptation to read all pre-Nazi history of eugenics as a prelude to Nazi crimes. But progressive era eugenics was, in fact, the broadest of churches. It was mainstream. It was popular to the point of faddishness. It was supported by leading figures in the newly emerging science of genetics. It appealed to an extraordinary range of political ideologies, not just progressives, and it survived the Nazis. In 1928, 376 college courses were dedicated to the subject of eugenics. Think about that. In 1928, 376 college courses were dedicated to eugenics. A single text among many, Searchlights on Health, the Science of Eugenics, sold one million copies in the first two years of its publication. The American Eugenics Society, co-founded by Irving Fisher to educate Americans on the virtues of eugenics, set up instructional pavilions and staged, quote, fitter family, end quote, competitions at state agricultural fairs. So see, I told you this stuff was mainstream. It's been mainstream for over 100 years. Progressive era eugenic ideas were influential in nearly all non-Catholic Western countries and in many others besides. We today have scholarly treatments of eugenics movements in Canada, France, Japan, Russia, Scandinavian countries, Romania, Latin America, and China. In 1933, Paul Popno, a founder of American uh, demography and a leading eugenicist, could boast that eugenic sterilization laws obtained in jurisdictions comprising 150 million people. Eugenic sentiments could even be found among scholars from traditionally black colleges. Miller worried about the lower fertility of the Howard University professorate. Quote, the higher element of the Negro race, end quote, when compared with the average African-American. 
See, everyone was in on the game. Why? Because it allows, it's an ideology that allows you to put yourself above someone beneath you. And then you literally get to talk about how you can sterilize these people, isolate them, murder them. It makes you feel like you're better than others. But people always forget, in a system like this, there is always someone who is going to be above them. Right, So you may deem someone to be unfit, but tomorrow you are the unfit. Tomorrow you get chemically castrated. Tomorrow you get a rag of chloroform over your face until you suffocate to death. You see, this is how a system like this works. This is what progressivism is all about. I've told you many times. I'm going to review Saul Linsky here for you, and I'm going to show you his idea of progressivism. It is a system that eats itself alive. And Alinsky was not interested in solving problems. Alinsky was interested in his personal goal of bringing hell on earth. He said that he grew up as a have-not, and now he wanted to see the have suffer, and so he would be fine with bringing hell on earth. So the system of progressivism ends up eating itself alive, and that's why I tie this into the idea of engineering humanity out of existence. It's never-ending. There is no stated goal. It just moves. The goalposts keep moving and moving and moving to the point where everything is destroyed, where we destroy the natural world, where we destroy humanity itself. It goes on to say, eugenics found advocates whose ideologies span the entire political spectrum. The eugenics movement attracted some reactionaries and conservatives, leading eugenicists such as Francis Galton and Charles Davenport, director of the eugenics record office at the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, can be described as social conservatives. But others, such as Carl Pearson, were socialists. Eugenics won many advocates on the left, such as birth control advocate Margaret Sanger, who began intellectual life as a radical anarchist, and will eventually do some shows on Margaret Sanger because she does play an instrumental role in all of this. In fact, folks, she was using black preachers to preach some of this stuff to their churches without actually telling them what the real plan was. She actually wrote about it in one of her books. How she would never let them in on the little secret that they were trying to weed out black people from society. Again, Do your friends on the left know this? Do they understand the true history of progressivism, the history of eugenics? Do people on the right, if you're a conservative, do you understand that there were conservatives involved in this movement? Do you understand that today, the modern eugenics movement, transhumanism, has so-called conservatives behind it? Yeah, Peter Thiel. He backs so-called MAGA candidates. He backed Donald Trump. He is a big pusher of singularity, the merger of man and machine. He is someone working on immortality for the elites. He is someone who supports transhumanism. Therefore, he is a eugenicist. Now, you can say he's not conservative like I do, but he's backing so-called conservative candidates based on whatever the definition of conservatism is today. All right, it goes on to say Fabian socialists such as Sidney Webb, George Bernard Shaw, and H.G. Wells were eugenicists, as were Harold Lasky and John Maynard Keynes. Uh, the Marxist economist Scott Nearing, again, uh, this guy inspired uh, Rexford 
Guy Tugwell, who was the big thinker on the brain trust that brought us FDR's New Deal, which was really the introduction of technocracy into the mainstream. But the Marxist economist Scott Nearing and the feminist economist Charlotte Perkins Gilman also embrace eugenics. Many biologists were drawn to eugenics. For example, David Starr Jordan, president of Stanford, was a tireless advocate of the eugenic idea that, quote, the blood of nation determines its history, end quote, as was Harvard geneticist and eugenicist E.M. East. In fact, Paul and Spencer report that before the 1930s, Thomas Hunt Morgan, pioneer in fruit fly studies and Nobel laureate in physiology and medicine in 1933, was the only geneticist to reject publicly the eugenicist idea that socially undesirable traits were the product of bad heredity. So you see right here this guy, Thomas Hunt Morgan, this pioneer in fruit fly studies, Fruit fly studies. Give me a break. Uh, anyway, this guy was the only geneticist to reject this idea of eugenics. Ladies and gentlemen, I need to take a short break. I want you to think about that, really. Try to understand that this idea of eugenics spanned so-called party lines, folks. And this is growing. It's growing in parallel to the ideas of technocracy. They're rising at the same time. So you have eugenics or transhumanism rising right alongside this science of social engineering, the science of total control of the means of production and the means of distribution called technocracy. So technocracy and eugenics are rising together at the same time. The bankers are putting the Federal Reserve into place. All this is coming together this new system the system that you actually live under today not the constitutional republic you believe it is ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.TV. All righty, folks, this is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Ping.TV slash gold. And we are working through this fantastic paper on the history of eugenics in the progressive era going back to the late 1800s early 1900s very important to understand your history very 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 important it puts a lot of things in context does it not if you understand what the game plan was when all this stuff was created then you can start to look around and you can say okay that makes a lot of sense all right the policies we see in effect today the culture we see that surrounds us today you will be able to step back truly and see the matrix code that's what i want people to see just to stop in the middle of a grocery store step back for a minute and see that matrix code come trickling down and you'll go wow i see where that came from i understand that Okay, I see the mom over there jam a pacifier into her little baby's mouth and hand it an iPad. 
That seems kind of strange. Where did it come from? And you'll start to understand. We were engineered into this system. And it has its origins in eugenics, its origins in technocracy. But you'll find that the bankers are behind it as usual. We're going to cover more of that here before Wide Awake Jim comes back. And then he's going to get into this and how they do it right out of the Bank for International Settlements and then using BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street to control all these so-called publicly traded companies and then how they introduce wokeness and they introduce transhumanism, they introduce climate change, they introduce all this stuff is really all part of the technocratic system. All right, let's continue. Why did eugenics appeal to the progressives? Eugenic ideas were not new in the progressive era, but they acquired new impetus with the progressive era advent of a more expansive government. In effect, the expansion of state power meant that it became possible to not uh, to have not only eugenic thought, but also eugenic practice. As eugenics historian Diane Paul in 1995 writes, eugenics legislation had to await, quote, the rise of of the welfare state, end quote. All right? Now, is this making sense to you? Because everything that we covered earlier today and yesterday, all about creating this minimum wage, driving people out of the workforce, the state then providing welfare, then able to deem these people unfit, then you could actually engineer their activities because if the state is going to give you welfare, the state can then tell you what you have to do. And a lot of this will come into play with all of the modern stuff. Uh, researcher Allison McDowell has talked a lot about this, these social impact bonds, and we're going to eventually get into that. Hopefully I can get her on the show because she really is the expert in that. But you see that it's all about engineering. So they create the problem, this welfare state, and they provoke these reactions, and then they offer the solution, in this case being eugenics. So you see this time and time again. The social engineering comes in part from the Hegelian dialect, the problem-reaction-solution loop. All right, it goes on to say, progressives were drawn to eugenics by the same set of intellectual commitments that drew them to reform legislation. Paramount was the reform idea that laissez-faire was bankrupt. Sidney Webb in 1910 said flatly, quote, no consistent eugenicist can be a laissez-faire individualist unless he throws up the game in despair. He must interfere, 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 end quote. Right. So this idea of individualism, this idea of equality, that all goes out the window with the technocracy government blueprints. All right. So they get rid of this idea of individualism. Howard Scott actually said this, the founder of technocracy. There is no individualism inside of technocracy. So they take that away from you. And it's a system all built around big government, all built around the state. And the state then has the power, because it has centralized power over everyone, to implement eugenics and technocracy and everything else. So as you can see, they're talking about here back in the early 1900s that they weren't in a position to implement a lot of this because the state didn't have total power yet. Well, as I told you, it's very dangerous what the modern day technocrats and transhumanists talk about like Elon Musk, Peter Thiel and the rest of them, because now the government does have total power. The state does have centralized control, really building it into a world government. They're close to basically rolling that out in full force 
Okay, and so now they have the power, but not just the power. They actually have the technology to do this at such a mass scale now. The prison planet technology, facial scanning, then combine that in with the ability to do DNA hacking and gene splicing. All right, it goes on to say, similarly, Frank Fetter, and this is in 1907, pronounced at the AEA meetings, quote, unless effective means are found to check the degeneration of the race, the noontime of humanity's greatness is nigh, if not already past. Our optimism must be based not upon laissez-faire, end quote, said Letter, quote, but upon vigorous application of science, humanity, and legislative art to the solution of the problem. Vigorous application of science, humanity, and legislative art, okay, as a solution of the problem. So science, you see science and engineering, then he's talking about humanity, which is really (laughs) anti-humanity, and then legislative art. All right, folks. Progressive opposition to laissez-faire was motivated by a set of deep intellectual commitments regarding the relationship between social science, social scientific expertise, and right governance. The progressives were committed to, one, the explanatory power of scientific, especially statistical social inquiry, to get at the root causes of social and economic problems. And and now you'll understand why someone like Yuval Noah Harari, the king philosopher to the World Economic Forum, the right-hand man to Klaus Schwab, one of the big thinkers of the false industrial revolution, you'll understand why Yuval Noah Harari talks about data. Data is the new gold. Property used to be the most valuable, but now it's data. And those who control the data will be the gods of the new era. Even back then, this is what the scientists and engineers were after. This is what Howard Scott was working on, collecting more data. All right, number two, the legitimacy of social control, which derives from a holistic conception of society as prior to and greater than the sum of its constituent individuals. All right, let's read that one more time. Number two. The legitimacy of social control, social control, which derives from a holist conception of society as prior to and greater than the sum of its constituent individuals. So collectivism. And and remember, we saw this coming out of the eugenesis that this idea of equality should be crushed by social progress and so social control this is a uh, system of social control total control they want control over everything and that brings us right into where we are in the present with the fourth industrial revolution the merger of the biological physical and digital worlds they want control over all aspects right over all aspects and they want to merge them so that they can manage them easier from a central hub they want to upload their software into everything and be able to manage everything number three the efficacy of social control via expert management of public administration expert management of public administration where for expertise is both sufficient and necessary for the task of wise public administration so what they're talking about there is the idea of technocracy where the scientists the engineers the technologists the experts run society now we all hate i would imagine our elected officials most people do right 
But at least in the broken system of a constitutional republic, you do elect people that are supposedly your representatives, right? Supposedly a constituency of folks elects a representative to go represent their interest in Washington or in your respective state capital, right? But in this system, there isn't even the illusion of that. You just have scientists and engineers running the entire system under complete and total social control. It is no accident that so many notable eugenicists were pioneers in statistics. Francis Galton, Carl Pearson, and Ronald A. Fisher were all founders of modern statistics and were, in addition, leading lights in the eugenics movement. Many proponents of eugenics and economics were also statistically oriented. Francis Amaza Walker, Richmond Mayo Smith, Irving Fisher and Walter Wilcox were all statisticians by training and or by inclination. They regarded statistical measurement and inference as the method that put the, quote, science, end quote, in social science. All right. So all students of data, 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 data. This is how they want to control everything based on science. And what happens when you move into this system completely and totally controlled by science, by data, by statistics, is you remove all human aspects uh, from this world, humanity, individualism, equality, all these things are removed. All this natural law is removed when you create a system managed completely like a science experiment. And that's what these guys wanted to do. Leave nothing up to chance. No magic of life, no magic of nature. Everything needs to be controlled. Look at all of the plants that we have now, all the vegetables, all the fruits. They're genetically modified. Nothing left up to nature anymore. They want total control, control of everything. Just think about it like the competition between um, Apple and Microsoft. Right? Microsoft wanted to upload its operating system into all the computers. Apple was trying to keep theirs as a closed system, but Microsoft would have loved to upload software into Apple's. They want to put their software into everything in the physical, the biological, and the digital worlds. And this was already being thought about back here 125 years ago. Carl Pearson's, quote, bricks for the foundations, end quote, this was in 1909, of eugenics emphasized statistical methods as the guarantor of better social science. Quote, first, we depart from the old sociology in that we desert verbal discussion for statistical facts. And second, we apply new methods of statistics, which form practically a new calculus, end quote. American progressives also saw statistics as providing a scientific foundation for their legislative reforms. Said reformer Lester Ward in 1915, quote, if laws of social events could be statistically formulated, they could be used for scientific lawmaking, end quote. Now, you have to ask yourself, if you and I want to build, let's say, this breakaway civilization, And in our minds, or at least on paper, let's say, we agree on what 
that whole project is going to look like when it's done there's i don't know a hundred houses on three acres each then there's a hundred acres of designated land for this community development farm this community uh, supported farm that we all own a piece of on the other end there's going to be you know a pool house and stuff like that then there's going to be a big tech center where you could go to work and you can have a shared office space that you get for living in the community so on paper we all agree on what that is supposed to look like and then we can sit there and debate on how we're going to get there and you could say listen i had experience in construction and i could say well i have experience in design and we could put all our skills out there and then we come up with the best solution the cheapest way to get there the most efficient way to get there uh the uh quickest way to get there and we could debate those things but we're working towards a similar goal when you look at what these folks were doing these progressive era economists the uh technocratic scientists and engineers the system they're trying to get to at the end is not the same system that you and i want so we're not debating policies on how to get there right so you could say well uh i don't agree with your methods of sterilizing people or locking people in cages but we do agree in the end result so i'm willing to compromise that the uh, end justifies the means even though i don't want to do this the end justifies the means i think your solution will get us there faster well they're not laying out a system in which we agree on they want a system of total control a system where the scientists and engineers engineer the actual outcomes of the system so we're not even on the same page we're not talking about the methods to achieve the same goal we're talking about moving in two completely different directions and i think part of what we have to think about here and we have to define in our own heads in our own hearts is what is it that we want so when you say restore the republic or save america what is it that you want it to be if we say let's go build a breakaway civilization what do we want it to look like we have to start to define exactly what we're trying to get out of life exactly where we're trying to go because we can't just keep talking in circles about saving this place there is no saving this place this place is the place that we're talking about here with sterilization uh with eugenics with uh, genocide with technocracy that's the place we're in we have to leave that place and go form something else but we need to start talking about exactly what we want so we can get on the same page and decide if we want to go form a breakaway community together that's what i think we need to start thinking about here folks is we're working through this and we probably don't want these kind of people coming to our community i don't want anyone who is looking to run a system of total control i'm looking for individualism i'm looking for folks who want to pick themselves up by their bootstraps people who want to make it on their own people that are willing to accept the consequences of their own failures but i also want to live amongst people who are willing to help each other out to help teach each other to help uh, protect each other when they're down somebody gets hurt and they're out of work for a couple months we're the neighbors we come and help you out man we'll rake your lawn we'll bring you some dinner those are the kind of people you want to live amongst those are the kind of people i want to live amongst and we built a group of those type of folks during this home birth process so i know they're out there and i know they exist ladies and gentlemen i won't exist in about 10 seconds because i'm going to a short break i'll be right back this is dustin gold with 
with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Pain.tv. Join the discussion at Pain.tv slash gold.